Okay, good morning everyone and welcome. We're going to discuss today the introduction to the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch and we're going to look inside at ch chapter 122. I'd like to start with this handout, the Living Jewish handout. And first to discuss why are we learning this specific book? Why are we learning this specific Sefer? And in the course go through a little history of how the Halacha was created came about. Um, then we'll start learning something connected to the specific days we're in today. So why this book, the Kitzer? In Pirkei Avod, in chapter 1, in Mishnah 17, the morning it says that the, the essential thing is not study but deed. So as a Jewish person, most important is not, is not the learning, but the actual practice of what we're learning. It's almost like the Torah is the guide, is a manual for what we need to do. So it's important that we know what to do and how to do it. In addition, something that's unbelievable, it says, we learn in the Medrash and Tanad Veliyahu, one who learns halachos every day is guaranteed a portion in the world to come. So the power of what we're learning, not only is it something that's important for us, but actually daily study of halacha is a guaranteed portion in the world to come. What does the word halacha mean? And so Yosef, you're coming from Eretz Yisrael. What, what does the word halacha mean? Going. Going. So why would the law be called going? And we have a precedent in, about, in three places in the Torah, actually, where it says, where Hashem refers to Torah law as a way of life. In the chukosai teilechu, if you follow my statutes, Best mitzvot and observe my commandments and perform them. So God Himself is saying that mitzvot are telechu, they are a way of life. That's what halacha means. Halacha means it's a way of life. Halach, yelech, to go. So we're not just, we're not learning law, we're learning a way of life. Any questions? So let's talk about the, a little bit of the history of halacha and why this specific book was chosen. Um, on the left hand of the of this box, you'll see the date corresponding to the uh, general calendar, and on the second column you'll see the date corresponding to the Jewish calendar, and on the right of that you'll see what happened during that time. So I'm going to run through it quickly, but, and, and then you could study it later on. But in the year 2448, we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. Okay, so now almost 1500 years later, the first compilation of the, the first official Jewish book is authorized, and that is the Mishnah. So up to this time, it's not too complicated. You study the Torah, and you have the Mishnah. Now we go a little over 200 years later. In addition to the Mishnah, we have another book called the Gemara. So now if you want to know what you need to do, if you want to know how to live like a Jew, so now you have to learn the Torah, the Mishnah, and the Gemara. Okay? 700 years later, the Rif writes his famous work called Hilchos Harif. And he's the first person, he takes the Talmud and he tries to pick out just the practical details that we need to know for the day-to-day -day life. Okay, so now we have the Rif in this list, if you want to live Jewish. 
Almost 100 years later, the Rambam passes away. The Rambam authorizes his code of Jewish law, Mishnah Torah. Almost 100 years later, the Rush dies and he authorizes his own authoritative book of Jewish law. Now we're going to skip 300 years. Now there's already, a, I'm just sharing with you some of the highlights of those times. There's a tremendous amount of of authoritative books on Jewish law. So it comes around Rabbi Yosef Karo and he compiles what we know today as the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. Okay? Now he compiled it and it was accepted as a Code of Jewish Law for the Sephardim. So seven years later on his same Shulchan Aruch the Ramah comes and puts an edit for someone that's uh, an Ashkenazi. Okay? So now we have the Code of Jewish Law itself has edits on it. A little under 70 years late, a little over 70 years later, we have two tremendous commentators, the Shach and the Taz. And now they're printed, they're explaining what the Shulchan Aruch said. A little over 40 years later, in addition to the Shach and Taz, we now have the Beis Shmuel is giving another commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. If we jump to the year 55666, at this time, 1805, there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of Torah scholarship that needs to be studied to be able to come to any simple conclusion on any subject in Torah matter. It's way too much. So the Alter Rebbe compiles the Shulchan Aruch Harav. That's in 5566. Four years later, the Chaye Yadam, which is a condensed version of, of Jewish law, one of the four sections is composed. Almost a hundred years later, another sefer, the Arach HaShulchan, is composed. That same year, the Mishnah Brewer is composed. And the message, I, I don't want to get into all the details, there's a lot of commentary here, but what I wanted to share with you is that at this point in time, when the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch was composed in 1864, if you wanted to live like a Jew, and you weren't going to spend your whole life studying, it was practically impossible. And the novelty, the greatness of what Rabbi Shlomo Gansfri did in 1864 is he went through many of these manuscripts. He actually, he's clear, he based himself off of three main th sources. And I quote them here. Number one is the Chavestas from Rabbi Yaakov Lorborbarm, the Shulchan Archarav from the Alter Rebbe. And the Chayi Yadam and Chachma Sadam from Rabbi Avraham Danzig. He compiled the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch primarily off of, off of these three main sources. So if a layman, someone that doesn't have the time to learn everything, and even if you do have the time, by the way, to learn everything, it's, it's very, very hard to still know the answer because you have a lot of arguments, but the answer could oftentimes elude you. So now, like in other words, you'll have a lot of opinions, but how do you know which opinion to follow? So the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch was a monumental, monumental work that till today, we're over almost 150 years from when he authorized it, um, it's still considered the primary um, condensed code of Jewish law. However, of course, since he wrote it, there's a lot of different details that, that there's conversation about. And as we go through the Kitzur, we'll try and discuss some of those differences. But in our class, I want to be clear what the, what the goal of this class is. The goal of this class is to learn the Kitzur. So at times there may be deferring opinion, but our primary goal is to get a good grasp on the whole breadth of Jewish law.
And because of that, I also want to add that we're going to try and complete chapters. We're going to try and learn everything that's within the Kitzer. Again, so we get a good grasp, although sometimes it may be a little complicating. Um, at other times it may sound not so relevant, but our goal here is to learn the practical Jewish law, but also use the Kitzer as our basis to make that happen. Are there any questions? What is Ben Ishchai? Ben Ishchai was a work authorized for the Sephardic community. But who wrote it? It slips my mind right now. We often call him the Ben Ishchai. Yeah. Many people are, we, we refer to them by, their, by the book they compiled. You know, I, I know a Sephardic rabbi who has the, the rabbi who compiled it. Yeah. His photos. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, let's jump in to chapter 122. There's two copies of the book. Otherwise, we have, for those that want to follow along in Hebrew, I, oh, I have some he English copies here. And <coughs> say it again here. Yeah, yeah. I, I had you in mind. One, right here. And we're going to learn Dinim in Shivasar Batamaz of Tishabav, the laws pertaining to the period between the 17th of Tamaz and Tishabav. The page number again? Oh, in, in that book, 827. Yes, yes. As an introduction, the 17th of Tamaz is a day that the walls of, Yer of Yerushalayim were broke. Set. Actually, five things happened. Five tragic things happened to the Jewish people on the 17th of Tammuz. Um, if you have a book, you could quickly refer to the previous chapter, 121, number 4. But I'll just share with them quickly. On the 17th of Tammuz, that's the day that Moshe came down from Mount Sinai. He saw the Jewish people serving the golden calf and broke the luchos. Big tragedy. The golden calf. The second thing that happened is that the carbon tamid, which is a daily sacrifice that was brought twice daily as the temple, as the Jerusalem was laid siege and they couldn't get animals, the, the, on the 17th of Tammuz, the daily sacrifice stopped, which will, again was a tremendous tragedy for the Jewish people. The third thing is that the city, was, the city walls were actually broken, the city of Jerusalem, its fortification was broken on the 17th of Tammuz. Apostomos burned a Torah on this day, the 17th of Tammuz, and finally on this day, inside of the holy, within the temple, a, an idol was erected. Again, another big tragedy. So five tragedies happened on the 17th of Tammuz. Three weeks later, exactly three weeks later, is the 9th of Av, and that is, that is the day that the two temples were destroyed. So this period from the 17th of Tammuz, until the ninth of Av is referred to as the three weeks. It's exactly three weeks, and it's three weeks of of sadness, of reflection, reflection on our time in, in Yerushalayim, our time in the Holy Temple and its destruction, and what we could do to bring back the third Holy Temple. Having said that, we're now going to talk about some of the practices we have during this time period. We actually call it a period of mourning, and there's many things we do as a mourner during this time. As we'll soon see, customarily we, we don't buy new clothing during this time period. During part of the time we don't even eat meat or drink wine. 
but it's a sad time period and uh, we're going to learn about that. Are we ready? We're ready inside. Okay. Chapter 122, here we go. I'm going to read it in the English. Since the calamities of the destruction of Yerushalayim and the Holy Temple began on the 17th of Tammuz, therefore we practice some level of mourning from this day until after Tisha of the fast of the ninth day of Av. So three weeks when we are, we have some, some practices of mourning. It is appropriate for every God-fearing person to perform the service of Tikkun Chatzos each day after Chatzos of the day, Halachic Midday. This is fascinating. It's not practiced today, but, but let, let, let me share the practice. There was a custom. Some people still have the custom every day at midnight to wake up and mourn the destruction of the Holy Temple. It's called Tikkun Chatzos. There's, a, there's an official format of what you say during that time. Today, it's not practiced. However, the Kitzur is saying, even people that don't practice it, they should do it at midday. At noon. Where the truth is, it's not really midday. This would be the halachic midday. So in addition to mourning the temple at midday, that some people have the custom, A, note we don't get married during these days. And this applies even to one who has not yet fulfilled the obligation to be fruitful and multiply. You know, the Torah says that there's a commandment for a man to marry a woman and for them to have children. And within the commandment to have children, the Torah even defines how many children a minimum a person should have, if possible. Of course, it's not always possible, but for someone, before we talk about someone stopping to have children, the Torah says there's a minimum, which is to have a boy and a girl who give birth to a child. The, the requirement is to try and have a boy and a girl, and that the boy and the girl should each have their own child. And until someone fulfills this duty, they haven't done a mitzvah. And because of that, we're, we're more lenient in many scenarios of what they can and can't do. Perhaps when we get into the, the laws of marriage, we'll see more how that would affect somebody if, until you fulfill this commandment and after. But, but here we're saying, even if you have not yet fulfilled the commandment, we're strict that you're not allowed to get married during this time period. You may think, it's a mitzvah to get married and I should still get... says, no, you're, you shouldn't get married during this time period, even if you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. However, sometimes we're worried that if you don't get engaged to somebody, if, you don't, if a man doesn't engage a woman, well, someone else will grab her before them. So for that worry, you're allowed to get engaged during this time period. Because, again, you could get married later, but engaged, you may miss your opportunity. Let's see that inside. However, to become engaged to be married, and even to celebrate the occasion with the feast, is permitted until Rosh Chodesh Av, the first day of the month of Av. So the first week and a half, you're still allowed to get engaged with a feast. However, from when Rosh Chodesh Av starts, say the third day of Av, so from three days prior until after the ninth of Av, but from Rosh Chodesh Av and on, although at that time it is also permitted to become engaged, it is nevertheless prohibited to make a celebratory feast. 
In other words, I understand you don't want to miss this opportunity, but you still can't celebrate it too much. However, they may celebrate by eating various preserves and the like. Okay, so you could still have a, uh, a you could still have a small minimum celebration. <coughs> what about a Jew that plays music? And that is your Parnassah. And during this time period, it's not appropriate to be listening to music. So are we going to say that for three weeks of the year, in addition to the time of Sphira between Passover and Shavuot, when we should listen to music because of the morning for Rabbi Akiva's children, are we going to say in addition to those seven weeks, there's another three weeks? So there's ten weeks a year where you just you lose your Parnassah? Question clear? It's a good, strong question. So, continues, kids are Jew whose, whose livelihood is earned through playing musical instruments, may play music in the home of idolaters to earn enough for his livelihood. You can't play in the home of Jewish people because the Jewish people can't listen. But you're allowed to play in the home of idolaters if you need to make money. Uh, question? Please. please. Um, and, and you just said idolaters? You yes. says non-Jews? Um, if a non-Jew is, uh, is not an idolater, is a person permitted to play in their home? I appreciate that question. I just want to see the... Okay, so this is... I'm, I'm going to... Let me finish this, this section number one and get back to a very fascinating point. Um, however, from, but from Rosh Chodesh until after the fast of Tisha B'Av, it is prohibited. Meaning, even though, yes, you're going to lose your... At that time, you're, we're not going to allow you to play music. And on the day of the 17th of Tammuz itself, the fast day, it is similarly prohibited. And likewise, on the fast of the 10th of Teves, it is also prohibited to play music. Even in the home of idolaters. So, in other words, we're learning that on fast day, the 10th of Tevis is the day that the, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded. It wasn't broken into until the 17th of Tammuz. But on the fast days itself, and from the Rosh Chodesh until the 9th of Av. Even in a house of a non-Jew, you can't play music. A new custom. Some have the custom not to eat meat or drink wine from the 17th of Tammuz until after Tisha B'Av, except on Shabbos or at a festive feast. So there are people that for all of these three weeks will not eat meat or drink wine. It is not the practice custom. The practice custom is only from Rosh Chodesh of until Tisha B'Av, only for the nine-day period that we're currently in. So, Tim had a fantastic question. He said, in the, in the edition of the translation, in this blue book, the word used for a non-Jew is a guy, is a non-Jew, and the wording in the, in other editions is akum, is, um, is an idolater. And the truth is, a little bit of historical text. All books were reviewed by censorship before they were printed for a long period of time. And because of that, pieces of the Talmud were actually taken out of the Talmud by the censorship for hundreds of years. Pieces of Maimonides was taken out and not printed for hundreds of years. Similarly, minor edits were made in many of the books. And one of them, they were made by non-Jewish people, and one of them that the non-Jewish people found upsetting to them was calling non-Jewish people idolaters. Now the reason that that term, that that term was used is because that um, for a long period of time there was a lot of idol worship. So just sharing that the, there is a little bit of difference. The original said idolaters, 
it was the censorship change it to a non-Jew, but it's just, it means the same thing. We don't play music, at, even in the home of a non-Jew who's allowed to listen to music during this time. Okay. So, so this doesn't, uh, uh, so, this, so for someone who's a Noahide, uh, still you're permitted to Correct. Home. Correct. Yes, that's a, that's a fantastic observation. But is a non-Jew considered an idolater? No, they're very different. Yeah, there are. There, yes, that's a good point. Uh, it, okay, that's a broad question. I'll say they're different, but it depends on the scenario, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. What? Okay. But it, in its core, they're different. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, number two. We're now going to learn about doing something that makes you excited. There's a bracha called Shehechianu. Shehechianu means, thank you Hashem for bringing me to this moment. Now, during the three weeks, we don't thank Hashem for bringing us to this moment. We're not happy to be here. It's a sad time. And therefore, items that require thanking Hashem for this moment, we don't do. For example, I'm going to learn in a moment, if you would buy a new home, or if you buy clothing, if you're going to eat new fruit, these items require a blessing of Shekhiyan, which means, thank you Hashem for bringing me to this minute, which is not appropriate. And therefore, during this time, we don't do many items. Let's see that inside. Number two. It is customary not to recite the Shehechianu blessing during these days, during the three weeks. Therefore, we do not purchase and we do not wear a new garment. Meaning, even if the item was purchased prior, we still will not wear it during this time. As one would then be required to recite the Shehechianu blessing, and that wouldn't be appropriate. However, a firstborn child from a natural birth, that his mother or father is not a Kohen or Levi, has a Pidyan Haben on the 30th, for the 30th day from when he's born, we have a special celebration thanking Hashem that he's, the first 30 days we say are a critical time in a child's life, and once he's passed 30 days, he's now, uh, we call it, we consider more stable. And we know that the firstborn child really belongs to God. Because God saved all the firstborns back in Egypt. So we make a pidgin, we're redeeming the firstborn from God, from the Kohen. We say, <clears throat> the father says, literally, I want to buy back my son. This item needs to be done on the 30th day. Now, we also, it also requires a Shehechianu blessing, thanking Hashem for bringing me to this moment. So this is an exception. We're, we, di we didn't decide what day the child's going to be born. The child was born and... and his pigeon had been falled out during this time. So we don't want to, uh, we don't want to sour the occasion and we allow you to make the Shehechianu. Let's see that inside. But one does recite the Shehechianu blessing even during this period upon performing a pigeon haben, redemption of the firstborn, so as not to delay the performance of a mitzvah. We're not going to push it off. What about a new fruit? So, so far we've spoken about clothing and a pidyon haben, redemption of the firstborn, over a new fruit. One may be lenient and recite the Shehechianu blessing on Shabbos, or even during the week, if one would not find the fruit after Tisha B'Av. If this is your only opportunity, okay, then you can make it. Or on Shabbos, otherwise you should not say it. Okay, this is a fascinating law, stuck in. A teacher should not hit his students, nor should a parent hit his children during these days. Hmm. These are very sensitive days, as we'll learn soon, for example. We should try to avoid a court case in these days. We don't want to do anything that, God forbid, could cause great damage, cause even if mistakenly harm. We shouldn't hit our children during these times. 
I just want to talk for a moment about buying new clothing, which is important. Um, if Ideally, we should try not to buy clothing during this time period. However, if someone is in need of basic clothing, as undergarments, etc., um, then they should just talk to a rabbi, but it probably would be permissible. Are we good? Law, number three. Similarly, we know it when a, someone is in mourning, they don't cut their hair. So, so similarly, it is customary not to take a haircut during these days. Neither the hair of the head, nor the hair of the beard, nor any hair of the body. It is also prohibited not only for yourself to cut your own hair, but for adults to cut the hair of children. It's a time of mourning, and therefore we should not cut our hair. Um, just to be clear, it says a hair of any body, and a uh, woman, for reasons of modesty, would be allowed to, during this time. Similarly, we know that the mustache um, could sometimes get into your food. You could try it out. If you want to grow your beard, you'll say, you try it out. It could, get into your, it could get into your food. And there is a special leniency about the mustache. As for the mustache, wherever it interferes with eating, it appears to me that it is permitted to trim it until the week in which Tisha B'Av falls. It's a strange... Let's just finish it. But yes, during sorry. the week in which Tisha B'Av falls, one should be stringent in this regard and prohibit this. Yes, please. It seems to me, it seems to me, that's an interesting phrase here. Okay. Everything else seems authoritative. It's the custom, one should not, etc. Here it seems to me. Almost like this is an opinion. It's a very, very good question you're asking. And I think the reason he's saying it is because in his last line, he's arguing on the, on the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch itself says even during the week in which Shisha B'Av falls, you can trim your beard. The, the Kitzer is saying from his compilation of other sources that he believes during that time you should not. Um, that, that's a good point that's being brought up. I do want to say that because this is such a condensed book of law, in many places it's hard to come to an exact decision. Um, and one more point that's important for us to bear in mind, the co condensed code of Jewish law doesn't really have reasoning behind it. So it's going to be very dry law. Okay, let's do two more before we conclude. Are we, are we good? What about cutting your, cutting your nails? Cutting your nails also would be, is something that is a sign of mourning. We do not prohibit cutting nails except during the week in which, in which Tisha B'Av falls. However, it's interesting, this week, are we currently in the week of Tisha B'Av? We are. Tisha B'Av falls out on Shabbos. This Shabbos is Tisha B'Av, however, we're not going to fast. It's pushed off to Sunday. So can you cut your nails this Friday? The answer is yes. Even though it's not real... If Tisha B'Av would be on Thursday, then we would say it's the week of Tisha B'Av, you can't. But because there's a Friday before, in honor of Shabbos, we say you're allowed to cut your nails, even this week. Did you have a question, Tim? However, a woman who must cut her nails in preparation for her immersion may do so even the week that Tisha B'Av falls out. And similarly, a mohel who needs to trim his nails 
in order to ascertain that he's going to be fully prepared for the purpose of the Priya procedure within the circumcision, is allowed to cut his nails even during this time. Okay, let's conclude learning about the Haftorahs of these three weeks. We're going to conclude with number six. During the three weeks, we call these, it's quite it's very sad. During the three weeks, anyone know the terminology we use to refer to the three Haftorahs? The three Haftorahs during the, these three weeks, between Shiva, the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, are referred to, does he quote it here? Yeah, the three Haftorahs of retribution. So it's quite serious, very sad Haftorahs, where we're, be, we're being told off. And uh, luckily, after the three of retribution, we have seven of comfort, which we'll get to. So the seven Haftorahs from after Tishabav until uh, almost Rosh Hashanah are seven of comfort. So we have a double, double portion of comfort. But these three Haftorahs need to be read in a specific order. And let's see that inside. On each of the three Shabbosos between the 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, we read one of the three Haftorahs of retrib retribution. And what are they? These are... Divrei Yirmiyahu, the Haftorah beginning Divrei Yirmiyahu, Shimudvar Hashem, the Haftorah that begins Shimudvar Hashem, and Chazon Yeshayahu, and the Haftorah that begins the vision of Yeshayahu. And if you want to remember them, there's a way, there's a simon, which is Dashach. Dalit Shin Ches. Dalit stands for Divrei Yirmiyahu, Shin stands for Shimudvar Hashem, and Ches stands for Chazon Yeshayahu. Now, what happens if, if not yesterday, but the previous Shabbos, instead of saying the Haftorah for the three weeks, you said the Haftorah for Parshas Pinchas. Last week, the previous Shabbos was Parshas Pinchas. And if instead of reading the Haftorah for the three weeks, you read the Haftorah for Parshas Pinchas, which is, I personally read that Haftorah and I almost made that mistake. I wasn't thinking, I, I look, Parshas Pinchas. Then luckily, before Parshas Pinchas, there was a note. If this is a Shabbos, after tea, you do a different one. So we did the correct one. What would have happened if we did the wrong one? see it inside, and if the reader erred, made a mistake, and read on the first Shabbos, the regular Haftorah that corresponds to the Torah reading of the day, in other words, the, parsh, the Haftorah of Parshish Pinchas, and he forgot to read the special Haftorah of the three weeks, and then on the following Shabbos, they should read for the Haftorah, Divrei Yirmiyo, and also Shimu. If that would have happened, then yesterday we actually would have read two Haftorahs together. Why? How could you do that? For the passages of these two Haftorahs, are one after the other. They're what, they're, two weeks ago we started a section, and yesterday, yesterday we just continued that same section, so if there would have been a mistake, we could have just read both of them together. If Rosh Chodesh Av falls on Shabbos, this week, this year, Rosh Chodesh Av fell on Friday, what would have happened if it fell out on Shabbos? Then we would read the Haftorah of Hashemayim Kisi, the heaven is my throne. There's a special Haftorah you read if Rosh Chodesh falls out on Shabbos. So what the Kitter is telling us, this is very complicated. You have so many options of, haf, of a Haftorah. Do you read the Haftorah of the Parsha? Do you read the Haftorah of the three weeks? Or do you, do you read the Haftorah of Rosh Chodesh? Which one does he say? You read the Haftorah of Rosh Chodesh. However, there are places where they recite the Haftorah of, Shuv, of Shimu. Even in this case, there are some synagogues that in this scenario would even recite the Haftorah for the three weeks of Shimu. Well, um, let's summarize. So in summary, we've discussed 
We, learned, we spoke about the need for the Kitzer, knowing how to live like a Jew. We spoke about how this is a time of sadness, and because of that, we have some signs of mourning, such as not getting married during this time, not, play, not playing or listening to music. Some people have a custom not to eat or drink wine. Well, not to eat meat or drink wine. Um, we don't make the Shechiyan, we get new clothing, um, buy a new house, new fruits during this time. Uh, cutting our, we don't cut our hair. If we need to, the mustache we're allowed to trim. Our, our nails we can cut until the last week, until the last, the week of Tisha B'Av. This week, we, this year we explained you could cut your nails throughout. Um, and then we spoke, we concluded talking about the three Haftorahs of retribution. Are there any questions? Okay, thank you very much.